0: Welcome to PageCast, a podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Bull Publishers. By interviewing the authors responsible for some of your most loved books, we explore the thoughts, ideas, emotions, and creative processes that led to the writing of these books. If you're a reader with a zesty interest in people and stories, do stick around and
1: enjoy what PageCast has to offer. Before we start, we want to issue a disclaimer. Conversations hosted by PageCast are happening from all corners of the world, so if we do have any inconsistencies with sound, we ask for your understanding as a listener. In today's episode, editor of Modern South Africa and Go Hustle. Danielle Weekly, who's also secretly the biggest reader in South Africa, will be chatting to Jeffrey Deaver, American mystery and crime writer. They will be chatting about his latest book, The Midnight Lock. Enjoy!
0: So great to have you with us today. I'm just going to officially introduce myself. I'm Danielle Weekly, and welcome to PageCast, brought to you by Jonathan Ball Publishers. Uh, I'm so delighted to be chatting to you today. I'm a huge fan of yours and of your many legendary characters, um, from Lincoln Rhyme all the way through to Colter Shaw more recently. But I would love to just start right at the beginning and ask you, when did you know that you wanted to be a writer?
1: Well, first of all, Daniel, let me say thank you, and I'm odd to be in your presence because I sit in a dark room and write um, <laughs> books, and that's basically all I do. I feed my dogs occasionally. They, they get cross if I don't. But, I mean, you are an a editor, journalist, writer, and you're an activist, and... Uh, and an influencer and uh reading your uh, bio frankly i got tired i just thought i i am i'm a i'm a slacker i need to get out and be doing more things but any any in any event i'm uh, just delighted to be in conversation with you um well in answer to your question i was a um, i knew at a very young age i wanted to be a writer and i i was a nerd now does, does nerd resonate in south africa the term nerd, nerd? Resonates. Okay. okay all right well i was quite the resonating uh nerd i had no talent for sports uh whatsoever i was uh ignored by the uh by the girls uh but i, I found solace in um in uh reading but i found solace in writing as well and i would write at uh, at 12 uh, 11 or 12 i would write stories that <laughs> they, they tended to be um a, a bit autobiographical they were about nerdy boys who had mm-hmm. no talent for sports rescuing uh, cheerleaders and, you know, the beautiful, uh, uh, the bells of the ball in in school uh, from things like pirate attacks. And it was a little ironic because I grew up in mm-hmm. Chicago. We didn't, they did not then have and still don't have many pirates to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just knew then that I wanted to, uh, wanted to write. But, uh, you know, I, I don't mean to go on and on, but I will say I, I also knew I, I was, I'm not particularly <laughs> savvy or, or bright, but I did know even then that you can't be a prodigy Writer, you have to live life for a while, and so I uh, set my sights a, a bit lower, and I, I became a, 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 a sort of a, a liter- well, I call it literary writing. I was, uh, I wrote poetry. Uh, by by lower, I mean I wanted to uh, write for a living. I knew I wanted to do that, and poets don't write for a living. You know, you could be a, a teacher, academic, but I thought I'm going to push off the commercial writing for a few years until I could, uh, until I, I lived life a little bit. I had some careers, and uh, so that uh, you know came about probably in my thirties. I published my first uh, uh, crime novel.
0: And was there was there a particularly memorable book while you were growing up or even before you started writing um professionally that left an impression on you that got you thinking okay this is we passed the pirate phase and we are ready to write <laughs> i could be doing this
1: uh, uh, well I um uh, I, I was I, I've read all genres and I've read literary fiction uh, as well um I you know I think the the great uh, philosopher Clint Eastwood as dirty Harry Mm -hmm. said, a a man's gotta, uh, gotta know, a man's gotta know his limitations. And, uh, I, as I said, I tried poetry. I tried a little literary short story writing and that just didn't work. I don't have the mind or the voice for that, but I was drawn to, uh, drawn to genre fiction. I mean, I read, um, uh, in the, uh, science fiction realm. I read Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov Mm -hmm. in, um, Fantasy. I read uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, Tolkien's writing, of course, Edgar Rice Burroughs, um, but I kept coming back to to crime, um, I, and I, I would read Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, uh, John Le Carre, uh, maybe my favorite thriller writer, whom we sadly just lost this past year, um, and uh, it, it was um, it was looking at those those books and in my mind actually taking them apart. And I, I said that once. I, I phrased it slightly differently at a uh, at a live event. And I said uh, I took I, I can't remember what what book it was, but a book from the 1960s that I, I just admired it may have been Len Dighton uh, or maybe a Frederick Forsyth book. And I said, and I just tore it apart because I wanted to I wanted to see what was going on in this book and the, the gasps in the audience were, were quite audible. And I said, no, 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 I don't mean, <laughs> I, don't mean I actually ripped the pages out. I, meant I, I, I I took it apart in my head to see structurally how they'd, they'd done that. And, you know, I think analyzing a book like that um, gave me the confidence to know that I could try it at least. It didn't mean I'd be successful, but I could see how these um, authors uh, work their magic um, Agatha Christie, the the twists. I still get fooled by her uh, stories and, and novels, even though I've I've read them all. Uh, she can still fool me. I said, "That's how you create twists." Okay, that's something I learned uh, with uh, Le Carre. I learned how to do the um, uh, incredible character development. I aspire to that. I think no one does it quite as well as as he has. But all of those all of those books I read and I did read voraciously were like lessons. Uh, in the art of telling stories.
0: I absolutely love that because I think that your character development is also just so incredible. I've always found them to have such great depth and they've also oh. been so specific in terms of their field of particular interest. Lincoln with his very intense forensic know-how, physical evidence, and even Parker Kincaid and graphology and Colter Shaw a bounty hunter. So I guess my question then is, how do you come up with these characters, careers, and um, flaws within the crime-solving ecosystem? And how do you get under the skin of these characters and their careers?
1: I uh, have always been very aware that I'm blessed in this sense. I'm a, a pedestrian writer, craftsperson putting words on paper. I can do it. I was a journalist, and I, I have kind of a uh, um, straightforward journalistic style. It doesn't come easily to me. There's nothing uh, really very poetic about my uh, uh, my writing. But I've been very lucky in that I have been born with this uh, kind of a combination of curiosity and empathy that you as a journalist, I'm sure, uh, experience as well. That it's fairly easy for us to step into the shoes of someone else. And not only is it necessary to create a... Um, a character for our, our stories but it's um, um you know really a, a joy to to do that in in my books i have been um people of different races uh ethnic backgrounds ages different genders um Ooh. and i i find it just a um a real joy to step into the shoes of someone uh of someone else and and craft a character that i hope will resonate with the readers
0: I love that. Can I put you on the spot and ask who is your favorite character?
1: Of the ones I've created.
0: Of your own, yes.
1: Oh, of my own. Um, well, oh my gosh, that's uh, you know, like asking a chef what is your favorite uh, <laughs> dish your favorite child. because, because she, she, will, <laughs> she will, she will, of course, have hundreds of them. Uh, but I, I, I have to go back to Lincoln because um, I love my new character Coulter Shaw, who is uh, you know he doing is. doing quite well. He's been. Uh, um, a uh, he's an itinerant reward seeker. He's had three novels out now. I wanted to get him, get him launched. But the fact is that um, uh, Coulter is a mountain climber. He uh, does ride motorcycles uh, rather quickly, which I did in my youth a, a long time ago. But but he's a um, uh, you know he's a tough, uh, energetic uh, outdoorsman, and that's not me. Uh, Lincoln Rhyme, of course, is very uh, cerebral. He is um, yes. Uh, for those in the audience who are not familiar with him, he's a quadriplegic. He's paralyzed uh, from the neck down, although he's regained some, some movement, uh, thanks to modern uh, medicine. But he basically has to outthink the villain. He doesn't karate kick. He doesn't shoot. He, uh, engages in a mental, uh, chess match with the, the bad guy. And that's much more me. And Lincoln's a bit of a curmudgeon, but so am I. So that's why we we might go head to head. That's all I know. I'm not sure how Amelia can put up with him all the time, but she seems to. They've got a, they certainly have a good relationship.
0: They do. I mean, she even seems to kind of have become more grounded over the recurring role that she's played um, since the beginning to now in terms of her own anxieties and stresses and things she seems a little bit more
1: settled yeah, well daniel now that you bring that up which is i think this is a very uh, interesting point and i had not thought about it before but apropos of your 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 question i have i guess um, unconsciously or subconsciously um, let's say without much intent on my part sort of changed the tenor of the yes. the books there was more personal angst in the uh, the early books, and that was a subplot. And I believe, you know, all fiction should have multiple storylines going on at the same same time. And um, they were valid plots, but then I decided that I, I, as a consumer of entertainment, which is what I do, these are entertaining books, I hope, um, yeah. I, as a consumer... Want to just move the story along, and you know we've seen uh, ad nauseum the scene where the uh, the hero detective gets into a fight with the captain and the cap his police captain, and he says, "Okay, give me your badge and your gun." And oh no, he's thrown off the, the case. Well, you know, we've seen that. That's, that's nothing wrong with that. But, uh, let, we know he's going to solve, solve the crime at the end of the day. So let's eliminate that. Let's just get down to work, roll up our sleeves and tell a real roller coaster, um, of a story. And I also have to say that I like the idea that in life, uh, all of us hope to move forward, uh, to a, um, you know, a good, a, a good place, maybe better than we've had in the past. And that certainly is uh, Lincoln and Amelia. You know, they're married now. Mm. They got married in yes. Lake Cuomo in Italy. There are far worse places to get married. And, uh, of course, while they during their, their wedding, they had to get involved in a homicide. And and Saul saved the day there. I couldn't let them just Absolutely. go get married. No. Yes, well, of course. How would they, had, they get would married in peace? Far too easy, of course. So, <laughs> um, but But there was some, some quite good wine involved. I know that. So crime-solving wine and marriage vows, uh, there was that. But But anyway, so I've kind of got them... Um, you know, in a, in a good place now where they just get to work like traditional crime solvers and confront the, um, uh, confront the evil of whatever, uh, you know, villain I've, uh, that has been perpetrated by whatever villain I've created.
0: Yes, yeah, I mean, I, I really love that. I read the first Lincoln Ryan book, The Bone Collector back in, I mean, I think when it was first released in the late nineties mm-hmm. and, uh, I fell in love with Lincoln Rhyme as a character, but also the way in which you, you wrote him and how you wrote your plots and so much action coupled with such meticulous attention to detail when it came to the villains and the crimes. Do you think, I know that The Bone Collector was first written long before TV shows like CSI shone a spotlight on forensics. Do you think it's easier to write these books now that everyone imagines themselves to be um, a Lincoln Rhymes or do you think it is harder
1: well, the answer is yes and no. And that's, is for an interviewee. Uh, you probably don't want to hear a, a waffling, waffling like that. But I'll, I'll tell you what's, um, it's harder in the sense that, uh, people have a great deal of knowledge about crime solving and, and they know what DNA is and they know what, how one leaves DNA, which doesn't take a lot. You can just t- do it with a fingerprint now. And that makes, um, my job a bit more uh, difficult in in the sense that I've got to be accurate about it because people will call me out. You know, the, the classic yeah. uh, classic uh, letter to an author might go something like this. Dear Mr. Deaver, I loved your most recent book. It moved along uh, in, in stellar fashion. However, on page thirty-four, I couldn't help but notice that you had a computer with a Pentium three thirty-six chip in it. And as you well know, the Pentium three thirty-six chip was never released. It was, uh, you know, they they, 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 it was a prototype, and it was never out in the market. Please uh, correct this in future editions. And you know, your initial reaction was, "My finger slipped. It was a typo. Get a life." But in fairness, but in fairness, I write th- that fan a. Um, an apology, a letter of apology, because I have, uh, I've created a speed bump and books have to move seamlessly along a, a smooth asphalt highway. And I've created a, sp- a speed bump there that disrupted his or her enjoyment of the, uh, of the book. So you have to get all of that stuff right. And now with the forensics, um, people will uh, say, um, uh, you know, they, I, I'm very careful about this, but, uh, you, you have, a um, DNA test and it comes back, and the uh, it, you know, half the readers will say, But wait a minute, I know DNA, and you can't get a test in that much time, it takes at least 36 hours. What, where's where does he go? Does he have a special DNA tester? And yes, sometimes I create my own fictional DNA testers and, <laughs> and, and and cite it, but but so that makes it more difficult. But the good news is that because of this knowledge, I don't have to explain so much, I don't have to. Yes. In every book, devote three paragraphs to what a gas chromatograph mass spectrometer is. I might just do that with one sentence and then say, uh, this, uh, this bit of trace evidence was revealed in the, such a device. And yeah. uh, readers will say, oh, okay, I, I remember that from CSI, one of the you know thousands of... CSI. There's probably, in fact, a, uh, you know, CSI Cape Town now or CSI Joburg. Who knows? (laughs) These things just, these things just, uh, just, uh, you know, they mushroom all over the, uh, all over the place. But, but so in that sense, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's both, uh, both good and bad. But uh, I I will say you've got to, uh, you know, spend a lot of time preparing a novel. And one of the most important things is to get that research right.
0: I mean, I just love your description of it being a speed bump on the smooth asphalt because that's exactly how it's done. The smallest detail that can feel like a hiccup in the story as a reader. I want to ask you one last question generally oh, before we get stuck into your new book. And um, it is this. A lot of writers say that when they look back to their early novels, they see a lot of themselves in their characters. Now, you know, you touched on this a little bit, but is this true of you and Lincoln, do you think? Are there similarities?
1: Well, there are similarities in the sense that I'm 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 quite analytical. Obviously, you know, writing uh, fiction, and I've written, I guess, 45 novels, about 80 or 90 short stories. That there's a it's a creative business. There's no question about it. But I am also extremely analytical um, in the process of writing. I plan everything out ahead of time. I do my research and outlining, and that's what. Uh, the way Lincoln Lincoln rhyme is, and frankly, I don't. I don't lead a very exciting life. There's not a lot <laughs> of me in the uh, the books. I mean, I, I have very little patience for uh, politics, uh, both you know the nonsense of mm-hmm. uh, our political world in America, which I imagine makes the news to some extent over there. Uh, the That's craziness was- we've experienced for the last four yeah. years. And uh, that politics, but also, you know, governmental politics uh, aside, inter-office politics, uh, politics within the the policing world or or corporations, uh, very little patience for uh, laziness. And that comes out in my character's uh, personalities. But also, I think that resonates with readers. Readers want to enjoy the character and they want a, uh, you know, a hero who is uh, dogged in in solving the the crime? Does not get put off by uh, diversions. Does not uh, toe the line when his or her superior comes in and says, "No, no, no, we have to play the game." And uh, uh, readers readers want somebody to stand up to that. And so I um, that's the um, um, those elements of me show up. But but basically, I'll go back to what I was saying earlier, Daniel. And this was uh, this is a very um, important thing. Uh, for any authors out there to to nurture your curiosity, I want to go into new worlds. Um, in the um, the Midnight Lock, my my latest uh, Lincoln rhyme book, I knew nothing about the world of locks and lock picking, and by that I mean, and I, I know we'll chat a little bit about the book in a bit, but um, I I just got. I, I actually my my door broke, and I had to hire a locksmith and this fellow came and with his tools bang opened it in i don't know thirty seconds and I thought, well there's my next book. this was amazing and so i uh, uh so I learned about that it's just a you know an opportunity for me to jump into a topic uh and I find it very interesting and then I write it up and then in the first draft, which is always 200 pages longer because I've written basically an essay on this particular topic. <laughs> um, in in the the Midnight Lock, I had a whole chapter on a, a, what was called the Great Exhibition in England. In I think it was 1856, yes. and it was a huge lock picking competition going on there. This is a, a trade uh, a, a trade fair. And, but the big news was trying to pick locks, and and they uh, experts came, and the government had a lock they wanted to put on the banks and the prisons, and there was a challenge to try to break through it. And actually, an American, uh, to everyone's astonishment, was able to break this this lock. Well, that was originally a whole chapter in the book. And Great I thought, story. wait a minute, we've got a we've got a psychotic killer out there, Jeff. Come on, let's let's focus <laughs> a little bit. Let's focus a little bit. Yeah. So so that I think uh, you probably noticed uh, uh, there was a I think a reference to it in in the book, maybe a paragraph, but, and that yeah. was worthy, but I learned these fascinating things and then trimmed them out. So it didn't make an appearance. That's right. I, 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 that, I wrote the book about a year and a half ago, so I don't recall <laughs> everything in it, but it did I make can an appearance. memory
0: as we go. But let's talk about your latest book, The Midnight Lock, criminal terrorizing New York. He calls himself the locksmith, and before you ask, he's not killing anyone, not yet, but he does break into women's apartments to watch them sleep, which is super creepy. Better still, he likes the woman in question to realize that she has been watched. So he moves things around, he leaves an empty glass of wine or a half-eaten plate of snacks, and he gets off not just on breaking the locks, but in leaving their sanctuary forever changed as a safe space. It is literally enough to make any one of us sleep with one eye open, and I <laughs> blazed my way through its Jeffrey with that one eyeball on the door. So I adored I adored being back in Lincoln's New York townhouse. Uh, the Midnight Lock is a Lincoln rhyme thriller, and I loved – being back there with the whole crew, um, but let's talk about your villains, because I adore reading about your villains, it's exactly what you were just saying about getting into the depths and detail of these um, really unusual professions, but let's talk about the research, and, and let's talk about diva villains in general, Who was your favorite, I feel like in some respects there's similarities to them in terms of their flawed characters, and their backstory, and their unravelling present, but they also are very knowledgeable in their particular craft or brand of mayhem.
1: Um, Indeed, they are. It is very important for um, your uh, protagonist in a, I'm speaking of crime books primarily, but I guess this would apply to any, any, uh, any genre or any book about good versus evil, be it literary fiction or fantasy or crime. Uh, for the hero to be matched against someone who is superior, uh, that may mean uh more intelligent have more resources, have a um, a particularly uh clever specialty that is out of the ken of our hero and why is that because these books are about emotional engagement they, they we we have to write a story that is the most emotionally engaging story we can possibly tell. That is in that when I teach my courses, that I tell my students, if you write down anything, write that down and remember it. Our job is to tell the most uh, emotionally intense story we can. And so uh, the, the villains I create, uh, as as brilliant as um, Lincoln Rhyme is and as resourceful as Coulter Shaw is, uh, nonetheless, the bad guys uh, and, and girls that they're up against uh, have that little extra thing, that little extra talent or strength or bit of resource, coupled with the fact that they are morally reprehensible. <laughs> they have no no <laughs> qualms means. about doing what they're doing. And whereas um, uh, Coulter Shaw may uh, debate about breaking into a house to get a clue because that's a crime, and he he's a good guy. He doesn't doesn't want to do that, and also self interest. He doesn't want to get arrested. Uh, but uh, but the bad guy has no such hesitation. So I I create you know my my villains are, are larger than life, but so are my books. Let's face it; these are not <laughs> what what crime is is really like. You know, I've worked with the police and the FBI, and I, I know what uh, what crime is like like crime is is two two druggies, both high, shooting at each other from ten feet apart on a, a city street, or crime is somebody uh, breaking in to a house psychotic uh, let 's say enraged husband, domestic abuser, and injuring or, or killing his uh, spouse that's what, that 's what crime is like i don 't do that i 'm a magician i 'm an illusionist. I create a show like David Copperfield, not the old David Copperfield, the new David Copperfield, yes. and uh, I, I have my props and uh, assistants, and I craft a um, big twisty turny magic act, and that requires the uh, you know the villains to be larger than life. Everybody's on stage. The, the heroes to be uh, smarter than a. Uh, uh, you know, a, a typical detective that requires there to be no coincidence, no what I call in my courses uh, a "give me a break" moment. That's like when the cell phone conveniently loses a signal at just the the most uh, uh, dramatic moment. Well, no, you can't have any of that. You've got to set up your 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 magic act to just run smoothly, and that requires the the bad guys to be larger than life, to have talents like the locksmith who uh, is uh, obsessed with breaking into an apartment within uh thirty seconds. I think it was a very mm. uh in a very difficult lock, but he and he tries over and over again to do that. And we're you know, he's a bad guy. But we, we're kinda rooting for him because this is important to him. And and as you, you pointed out, I follow the Alfred Hitchcock school of of crime. That is suspense, not gore. You're never gonna yes. see a torture scene in my book. I, I don't. I have no sexual violence. I have no. Yes. I don't hurt uh, children. I don't hurt animals because that's it's icky. You know, <laughs> just I don't like <laughs> reading that. I don't think readers like like it either. So I thought, what if this guy just breaks into somebody's apartment and eats a ham sandwich sitting next to their bed and then gets up and leaves, and that's. Um, uh, you know, rather than leaving a trail of blood everywhere, I thought that's just much more uh, much uh, creepier. And uh, I do so apologize creepy. for your for your l- <laughs> lack of sleep. I, and how many how many lights and nightlights did you invest in, Danielle? After you well, read the book, I think that's
0: exactly it, Jeffrey. Because also you keep thinking <laughs> because you've read enough of these books, so you know things like, oh, he's going to escalate. He's going to escalate. This is only going to get worse. And then okay. the next time he's pouring himself a glass of wine, and you think, oh, lovely, 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 and I sleep like the dead. I think actually you could have had a ham sandwich and a glass of wine in my room, <laughs> and I would have been none the wiser. I think that's, that's why it, it was such well, a horrifying thought.
1: <laughs> well, of course, maybe if I've had a glass of wine or two before I go to bed, I wake up and there's a well, that's my glass of wine. Wait it's a minute, like, Do, did, or did I, How many? If I if I had three if I had three glasses of wine, maybe I didn't even remember having a glass of wine. And look at that, somebody opened it. Uh, uh, oh, it looks who, like my he fingerprints. He with your out. head. <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> he absolutely mm-hmm. messes with your head. That's what I was thinking as I was reading it. I was like, this is, it's so genius because it's so creepy and he's not really doing anything. And you kind of have that weird <clears> sensation <throat> of like, was this me or wasn't it? He kind of just gets into your head without even having to be there. It was almost yeah, worse I, than I, if he'd done something.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, and that's, um, you know, more realistic, I, I think, because. Um, you know none of us ideally have ever run in uh, had a run in with a serial killer but we've all had odd things happen you know maybe yes. uh something stolen from our car that's that's invasive that's that's creepy w- many people i've had uh, a break in uh no no one was injured uh yes. the house was empty but it um it's just creepy. Somebody has been in your house and if they got in once, maybe they could get in again. That just kind of sits with you. And, and my job is to, you know, frankly, um, scare people. <laughs> that's all I can't, I, I, that's all there is to it. But again, it's emotional engagement. You know, that's, that's why I, I write um, thrillers as opposed to murder mysteries. Now I mentioned Agatha Christie and I love Agatha Christie and, and the, the classic golden age uh, mysteries. Those are those are books that ask the question, what happened in the past tense? And they're, they're very fun. They're not challenging. And you read 30 pages and then put it down and pick it up again. I write a book that I hope makes readers ask the question, what is going to happen? And they move from page to page to page very, uh, very quickly. And so those are the scenarios I, I look for. And, and in the uh, and I'll just add this as an as an aside, I also feel these books should be about something more, and by that I mean I like to expand it out of the immediate story and in the midnight lock there's a subplot about uh the press about the legitimate yes. press versus the um uh you know what we had over here in America, I guess with the internet it's a bit international now, but some of these uh psychotic uh, bloggers who came up with the most far-fetched uh, theories that caused a lot of lot of harm. There was the one about the uh, this ring of like selling children from the basement of a a pizza parlor in Washington D.C., and it was started just by some uh, you know right wing blogger. But people believed it, and a fellow, uh, yeah, oh yeah, and, and he took a gun. He he, he went there to save. The children. It was complete nonsense. I think Hillary Clinton was supposed to be involved too, or some Democrats. Of course, were behind this whole thing. That's what. (laughs) That's uh, as I I happen to be one. So that's you know that. Of course, we were responsible for the last four years. We were responsible for all the evil that happened. But he he took a gun and was was shooting into the the wall. If he's there to save the children, probably not a good idea to shoot to where the children would be. But anyway, he was a nutter, just like uh, the people who'd done that. So anyway, I, I don't mean to digress too much, but but that was a, a very important plot that I wanted to uh, integrate into the uh, the story. So I like kind of expanding out of the crime itself and into yes. uh, you know issues that so that readers might think a bit after they close the book and they'll think they had oh a good roller coaster of a ride, but that's something interesting to think about.
0: But it's also part of the joy of reading a book like that because you kind of also wonder and you know that nothing is there, nothing that you're being given is being wasted. So you do start trying to figure out how all of these different threads are going to finally come together and make sense of everything at the end of it all. You know, So you're sort of tracking things. It was a bit like the early editions of, well, I mean, I'm not sure if they are still like this, but when Lincoln and Amelia had their boards and even in the book itself, the board was printed with all of the information that you could kind right. of look at yourself again and again and boggle your brain trying to figure out at um, oh, the same uh, time as the characters were trying to see what was going on with the... It, the uh,
1: indeed, and I have my, my own boards organizing uh, the books. Uh, you know, I've I uh, outlined them. I spent about eight months outlining the book and doing the research before I write any of it. So it's all planned out ahead of time. And that's really necessary with this type of book, because there are those multiple plots. Each plot has to have a twist. The, 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 um, I think all, I was going to say crime fiction, frankly, I think all fiction needs a big uh, surprise, climactic moment where your expectations are turned on their head. And in this, we've got the, uh, of course, the locksmith story. We've got the, uh, let's say, integrity of journalism story, we've got the story yeah. where and this we learned this right up front, Lincoln, Lincoln has been fired. His career has been taken away from him for various mm-hmm. reasons, and that's a story that's going on at the same time. And then they all have to come together in a, um, a series of choreographed endings, plural, each one with a surprise. That, that requires um, a lot of forethought.
0: Completely. I mean, I was actually going to ask you whether you made charts like Rhyme and Amelia's Sacks, but I guess then the answer is to some extent you do indeed.
1: Oh yes, and uh, and you may notice, and readers have noticed in the past few books, uh, that I don't do the charts anymore. Yes, and uh, well, I, and there's a a reason for that. I'm a, you know, I'm a manufacturer of a product. Books are products, just like you know, toothpaste and mouthwash. Uh, the manufacturers of toothpaste and mouth mouthwash get feedback. You know, they they read uh, letters to the uh, to the manufacturer. They look at uh, press reports and i found that while some people liked the charts more people felt guilty for not reading them because they they were they were a bit dense and um my job is to make readers happy <laughs> you know i have happy endings I, I don't have ambiguous endings and i don't have sad endings i don't have anti heroes and uh you know if you want that good mint flavored toothpaste that's my book and i'm not going to give you any kind of uh, anything uh that's unpleasant uh, to the reader. And that was uh, enough to um, make me say, I'll still put in details. So, the, you know, Lincoln will think yes. in the Midnight Lock, there's, uh, you know, clues about, say, accelerant used in arson. And I yes. put that down there. They, the, those facts are there. But the uh, the charts, I just actually I felt kind of bad that readers were saying, oh, I love the story. But, you know, I would get to that and I think, well, I really ought to read it. I'm skipping a, a big portion of the book. And so I didn't feel they were... Uh, all that uh, necessary. Of course, I didn't take them out of the earlier books, so new readers will, of course, see them. But if anybody out there yeah. and is interested in getting a new any of uh, any of your listeners interested in getting one of the older books, you can skim it. Don't worry. Don't feel bad.
0: Oh, I, I'm delighted because I actually was one of those people that felt guilty when I skimmed them because you kind of read the first one or two, and then you're like, okay, I think I've. I mean, Lincoln, and Amelia, and I have now got this. We've. Uh, we're sorted
1: yeah and yeah and then somebody i.e. me had to do those (laughs) charts and they were a real pain i mean they you had to get it absolutely right because that was you know very fine uh scientific and chemical details that if you got wrong that would be the dear mr deaver i enjoyed your book however on page 34 you'd get those letters so i had to make sure it was right so
0: so tell me, I mean, Lincoln has an intimate knowledge of the city of New York, and you obviously do too. You've obviously lived there, is that correct? Tell us what you love most about the city and and how important it is to be familiar with your environment when it comes to writing a compelling crime story.
1: Sure. I, I lived in New York for over uh, 20 years, and uh, it is my favorite city on earth, probably because of the diversity, and I don't uh, necessarily mean, although that's part of it, uh, the ethnicity, uh, the racial diversity, uh, you know, uh, gender diversity, uh, everything is accepted in, in New York. Uh, and I am a very tolerant person myself and uh, really expect tolerance from everyone else. Uh, mm-hmm. Sadly, that many people don't live up to that, that standard, but that's what I strive for. That's what I look for. New York certainly is the case, but also diversity of of culture, of different types of music, art, and history and I, the other thing I, I found about the city was that it was a really nice place to live and you hear the uh, the old uh, saw well it's a nice place to visit but i wouldn't want to live there i feel exactly the opposite it's a very difficult mm-hmm. expensive place to visit especially if you don't really know the lay of the land but living there there are neighborhoods like small villages in fact i live mostly in mm-hmm. greenwich village which at one time was a, a small village outside of the downtown area of New York. Now, now of course, it's an urban center, but a very uh, quaint historical one. And um, uh, so I just um, absolutely love the city. And it's sort of an example of a, a setting being a character in itself. I try to make the city come alive. And it can be antagonistic, too. You know, Lincoln and Amelia have to uh, maybe fight the elements Fight the expanse of the city. It offers, um, of course, a great opportunity for a crime writer in the sense of the uh, uh, the gangs and the crime there. Both organized crime, the, the famous mafia five families, uh, the the more recent uh, gangs. Uh, the gangs. In Harlem has changed quite a bit, but there are uh, certainly gangs in uh, East New York. Uh, that are, you know, quite, quite ruthless. And so for a crime writer, it's just got about everything you need, including the crime on Wall Street. You know, I, I used to practice law many years ago in New York, actually. And people say, well, Jeff, you're a crime writer, you must have done criminal law. I say, well, I represented big banks. So you draw your <laughs> own conclusions. <laughs> and of course, there's that kind of shenanigans that goes on too. So it's, it was just such a, a wealth to draw on for me. Uh, you know, we writers um, absorb ideas. And I have a big file. I, I jot down things that I uh, think may become, uh, books at some point. Well, um, many years ago when I was living in New York, um, I, I was single, uh, dated from time to time. And a, um, a very compelling woman who worked in my company came into my office and she was, um, attractive. She was smart. She was, she was funny, had a, quite an interesting, uh, background. And, uh, she said, Jeff, are you doing anything on, uh, Friday night, you want to go out? And of course, I debated. Let's see, four seconds, maybe three seconds, and said, <laughs> "Sure." And well, it turned out I'm not going to go much longer with the story. It turned out she was a cult recruiter, and uh, oh. they uh, they got me in a uh, me and I guess another hundred or so people, uh, potential cult followers, in a meeting and tried to talk us into joining this this cult. And I remember, and I have I have no. I'm not a joiner. Believe me, I wouldn't. If, if, if cults a cult, are otherwise. Yeah, cults are <laughs> otherwise. Exactly. Well, it's like the Groucho Marx things. He wouldn't belong to a club that would have him as a member. And I, I agree. Actually, if any cult that would have me as a member of the cult, no, it's, it's got to be a bad cult. Just shut their just, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I know. I would close it right down. But anyway, I, I was struck by the fact that it was really a, a frightening experience, this, the frenzy of the, the the members of the cult, these people who had done the recruiting and other members, clapping hands, chanting. The leader on stage in a white suit, leading them along. A young, very charismatic. Uh, well, young in his thirties or forties, I guess. Uh, very charismatic, and he had them right. They would have done anything. And if they had, if he had said, "These recruits, they're not worthy of us. Beat them up." I have no doubt they would have done it. Maybe not killed us. Well, they wouldn't have yeah. killed us, I'm sure, but but we would have been shoved and pushed and punched and thrown out, and uh, so that just went into the back of my mind. And someday I want to write. Uh, I want to write about that. And that became the Goodbye Man. But I have spent time in the uh, the wilderness of that area of Washington uh, State, and I tried to make that come alive too. A hostile uh, hostile area, you know, hostile animals, hostile climate, and. Uh, yes geography. So, uh, setting is, uh, is quite important.
0: So I'm going to ask you one or two questions about the process, um, of, of writing because, um, I put a few questions out also on Instagram to ask if anybody had questions that they wanted to ask you. And it seemed like there were more questions about the process of writing mm-hmm. than anything else. And the first was, um, what is the first thing you do when you start writing a new book? How do you get into it? How does it begin? What does a typical day look like for you when you're writing?
1: Sure. And I'll, um, Uh, touch on maybe a few topics here. Uh, To me, I've been writing fiction now for full time for over 30 years. It's a job. I spend eight hours a day, eight to 10 hours a day, uh, five or six days a week, just like any other job, you know, wake up fairly early. But the process is this. I come up with an idea and it would be something like a a brilliant locksmith uh, breaks into people's houses, but there's something more going on. And that's it. That was the only idea I had for the midnight lock. And then uh, I start the work and that's the outlining process. I use post-it notes up on my wall, come up with scenes that I think will be uh, exciting. I'll have an idea for a big twist at the end and I'll put that post-it note down in the lower right-hand corner. But then that requires me to add two other post-it notes, presenting the clues that will then lead to that revelation. So that when the reader gets to that surprise at the end, uh, slaps himself or herself on the forehead and says, I should have seen that coming because Deaver said this in chapter 41 or chapter 10, whatever it was. So I do that over and over and over again. I stare at it. I get get blocked. uh, I'll think of ideas. That, that don't seem to pan out, but the the advantage of outlining versus just sitting down to write the book is that if you 're blocked in the outline stage, you can jump ahead maybe fifteen post it notes or you know make however you want to arrange it you, you don't have to stop at uh, when you 're writing the book, say at page two hundred and ten and have no idea where it 's going to go from there. Uh, you yeah. may have that little that little block on your on your uh, bulletin board, but you don't care. You just jump ahead and say, I'll, I'll come back, but I'll think of something else. So you, you fill in the, the post-it notes later, and sure enough, something does come to you, or you realize that that plot point was uh, not a good one, and out it out it goes. So when that outline is um, finished in the post-it note version, then what I do is put it on the computer, I do the research at the same time, and then I plug in the, the research material, and uh, then, after eight months, I sit down and write write the book. I write the book very, um, very quickly. It takes me about two months to write the book. But then I, I revise extensively. I'll uh, I'll just finish up by saying I revise as potential readers out there potential writers out there I'm sorry should do um in three different ways one on the computer because um you, you know you're going to want to cut out a lot of that say research extra research easy mm-hmm. you, you know you you uh select it and hit delete that's easy or maybe you want to move it someplace fine it's easy to uh, to move things let's say you don't like the name of your your main character uh, or the villain so you can globally search that and then there was that scene. Uh, so you read a scene uh, toward the end of the book, and you say, "Wait a minute! I had I wrote the same scene. Uh, the character does the same thing somewhere earlier in the book, but I don't remember where it is." Well, you use the search function. There you find it. Very easy to do. And of course, spell check and grammar check. They're 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 pretty good, so th- that helps. Uh, but once you've done that, then you have to print the book out and read it on the on paper because we experience the written word very differently on a uh, 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 the print, printed page uh, than we do on the screen, and we, we will see errors, uh, not only typos, but more conceptual errors that we missed on the screen. So you do that, I do 30 edits on the screen, I'll do 25 edits on paper, print it out again and again, I buy paper in bulk again and again. As, as we move through the process, it's fine-tuning you know, a little, just a few changes at the end. But then you have to print out one final copy. And then I send the manuscript to a program that reads the book to me word for word. And I follow along word for word. And that is a very valuable, very valuable tool. I will see, again, errors that I missed in both of the earlier edits. And I'll also find situations where, uh, you know, a, a name might be hard to pronounce. So I'll go back and change that that name, like Albrecht. People may not know, yes. uh, this just occurred to me, they may not know how to pronounce Albrecht. And that's, a, uh, again, a little tiny speed bump. So anyway, that's yes. the process. And then the book is done. And then uh, I, uh, I I go on book tour, uh, ideally to mm-hmm. wonderful places like Cape Town and Joburg, which I've been uh, before. And I've been to a, a number of uh, cities in, in South Africa and, you know, thoroughly... Um, you know thoroughly enjoyed it uh, meet my fans haven 't done that this year last two years, but we 're going to start to turn that back again and meanwhile, start another book which i 've already done i'm already i 've already have the first draft of my next novel done so uh, is a it it, show it is a culture show, and i 'll be alternating Coulter and Lincoln basically okay. from from now on with uh short stories and and if any yes. of uh the your uh, listeners out there enjoy short fiction you know, i i I love writing short fiction, I've done about eight this last year. You can go to my website, jeffreydeaver.com, and just take a look at what's out there available. You know, some people prefer short fiction. It's a busy world now. And they, yeah. uh, uh, you know, they don't want to necessarily uh, commit to a 400-page novel, but they can read a, uh, you know, a 40- or 50-page short uh, story. They can short an story, quickly. story
0: differently, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, That's exactly.
0: Like, we will spread that word. I have one last question for you, which came through from um, the audience on my side, who wanted to know Whether you have a favorite, and I'm not sure whether this is a strange word to use in this case, real life murder story that you followed, that you were enraptured by.
1: Well, um, indeed, it's a South Carolina attorney. This just happened recently. A South Carolina attorney um, who was uh, whose wife and son were were killed or shot in a different incident. He himself was shot in the head, but. Survived, and his uh the housekeeper was found murdered a- as well and they believe that he was behind all of this, including hiring somebody to to shoot him because he had absconded with his uh millions of dollars from his his law firm but the the story just keeps on giving i mean there we we're, we're waiting to find more about the bodies subject. and nobody it is, is getting it is indeed getting stranger so that's the one i've been following uh recently but then there's uh always the Jodi um, uh Jody Arias case she was the um a woman who traveled uh to, i think from colorado to arizona to murder her uh former lover i guess current lover and uh was supposedly very clever about it but made missteps all the way, and uh was very, uh, very compelling. And then always Amanda Knox. That's a fascinating case. The yes. um, case of the woman who was, uh, and I, I believe she was innocent. I, I don't think she uh, killed Meredith, or, her roommate. I think it was, uh, you know, she got kind of, she did not, she did not present herself well to the police. I think that was, <laughs> that was a problem. But yeah. uh, anyway, just a few things that, that come to mind. But I, like everyone else, I'm just, who doesn't love true crime? It's just a. Uh, uh, a very enjoyable form of uh, diversion, very
0: compelling indeed. Jeffrey, thank you so much. We uh, we look forward to hopefully one day soon be able to welcome you back to South Africa um, in person, as opposed to virtually over a podcast. But thanks so much for joining me this evening. It was absolutely wonderful to chat to you. I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Uh, Danielle, I could go on for another hour chatting with you, but uh, <laughs> maybe in, maybe in the future we'll have another opportunity. Next time. Thank- Thank you so much.
0: Thanks so much, Jeffrey. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of PageCast. We have an incredible lineup of author interviews. So head over to our Facebook and Instagram and follow Jonathan Ball Publishers to stay updated and in the know regarding future episodes. Thanks for your interest
1: in the story behind the story. Happy reading from everyone at PageCast.